have the rest, or I have the rest, and, I mean, we think the signal is only dangerous fragmented, like computer code. In pieces it corrupts, but put it all together, there are people after it. It's all fucked up, Aubrey. Almost as fucked up as a hipster millennial using mixtapes to destroy the world. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of cinematic H.P. Lovecraft inspirations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we are reviewing 2018's Starfish, written and directed by A.T. White, or Al White, however you prefer to uh, call him. And two things I want to address immediately at the top of the show. Number one, uh, they are tied together, but number one, I apologize if there's any noise i've tried to filter it out but my fan is on because it is as of now 90 degrees 90 oh. degrees here in new york city um and my computer is seven years old so i need to keep some type of air circulating so that things and myself don't uh break down entirely and tying into that i recognize the unintentional irony of recommending two movies starfish and the beach house because they are summer um you know themed and then I watch Starfish without doing any research and find out most of it. In fact, the entirety of it takes place kind of with one woman uh, kind of snowed in alone in this uh, wintry post-apocalyptic um, world. So, um, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Certainly not intentional. It, dude, it's it's okay because, like, I, like, you know, we had talked earlier about it. Um, the only thing I knew about this film, well, two things. One, I knew my friend Joe from Yellow Veil Pictures was like, you got to see it. It's really good. It's, it's a lot of fun. Okay. That was always in the back of my head. And two, the only picture I'd ever seen from this film besides the poster um, was Aubrey in that bear hoodie type oh, yeah. thing or the actual bear skin. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's all I knew. I saw that picture and I knew the, the poster was her with like the drawn nice art artwork of her with all the, uh, you know, cassette tapes. And mm-hmm. like you alluded to, like, that kind of like was that poster was while it looked cool and I was like, that's a really nice artistic interpretation. I was like, I don't know what this film's about. I'm not gonna read anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so then when I started hearing the Lovecraft or Lovecraftian stuff, I went, Huh, this film is not what I think it is at all. So yep. when you suggested it for the summer thing, I really didn't think there was any <laughs> wintry wonderland or <laughs> right. you know, like like so I kind of made it comical while watching it the other day going, oh, it's like only some flashbacks that go to a beach. But other than that, it's it's like this like and it's not even the worst winter like winter thing. Like, you know, it's not like torrential wind. Like, it's not like a, you know, like a winter storm, like in like the Revenant or like a Ravenous or something where it's like, oh, my God, you can't survive this thing. This is like little light flurries, you know, not the worst winter storm. Right. Which is fine. But. You know, this film, you can tell, low budget, but they do what they can with the, the apocalyptic feel. Yeah, of, of course. It. Yeah, and, know, and, like, Almost know, like a Twilight Zone feel to it, you know? No, no, very much. And, and, and yeah, but, you know, watching it in the air conditioning was certainly kind of like, <laughs> all right, I'm kind of putting myself in, in, in the mood for this. But you mentioned not knowing what to expect. We will certainly get into that because um, this was actually recommended to both of us, I think, long ago by a friend of the show, Thomas Campbell, who's like, you guys yes. got to check out this movie. So I did. I'm going to put a pin in this and say, like, not what I expected and also not really my cup of tea, but we will get to that because Hmm. we have some other things we want to discuss. First of all, um, and as always, listeners, if you don't want to be privy to the tangents, check in the show notes and see (laughs) when we start the actual discussion. You can skip ahead to then and we will fully understand because we do have some tangents to discuss. Number one of which, James and or listeners, please help. Um... You know when you sign on to Twitter or when you get Twitter notifications, sometimes you get the notifications of, like, someone's responded to a tweet or you get a DM or even those ones of, like, hey, someone you're following has tweeted something that might yeah. be of interest. You know what I'm talking about, right? Of course. So, for some reason, specifically with the Cast of Cthulhu Twitter account, um, Cthulhu Cast, or, or Cast Cthulhu, sorry, Cthulhu Cast is the Facebook one, I get a lot of notifications when people are tweeting specifically about the Snyderverse, and I don't want to fucking see them anymore. I, I don't get that at all, because I know we discussed it. Yeah. But it's not like we had an episode that said Snyderverse, or like, 
Like, we didn't really put anything out there like, Snyder, Snyder, Snyder. No, and, and even if we did, because I know we, I, I think we've, you know, I've quote tweeted responses yeah. to certain things, but this is not like, you know, our account is not inundated with tweets like that, and yet I can't stop getting notifications for them, and specifically they are notifications like, hey, someone's tweeting about, you know, how the Snyderverse should come back or restore the Snyderverse or blah, 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 bullshit. So, and, and I, I know how to block people, unfollow people, all that, but, like, how do you turn off, like, uh, notifications like I, I can't figure it out and i'm i'm not desperate for it but i don't i hate the snyder verse i don't want it to come back so i would like to stop getting notifications with people tweeting about it yeah i don't know it's weird you say that because like even my twitter thing the one thing that does weird it's like sometimes again it'll show some like three top like um tweets from people that i follow mm -hmm. in some way so a lot of times it's like I've seen the tweets already from looking at my Twitter account, but sometimes I'll miss one and go, oh, okay. My, you know, my friend Brad said something and, you know, someone else said something. But it'll always, I swear to God, always show me what Cody Rhodes tweeted about. <laughs> and it's weird because, like, I follow Cody Rhodes, whatever, because sure. I'm, you know, AEW, you know, love the, love the company. But it's just weird because it'll be like, oh, it'll have a, it'll show, like, his Twitter account and say, and it'll just say, like, great great idea and mm -hmm. it's always him like quote tweeting someone else but it's always like something like about you know a charity or something that but it's like why is like cody rhodes is the only one that does this with every single email mm -hmm. every time everyone else it's like random not randomized as much but so yeah i i don't know i don't know how you stop any of that kind of stuff you know i, I don't know because because uh, I'm, I'm looking at our at the 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 uh cast cthulhu twitter notifications yeah. thing right now um, there's one about someone discovering that Henry Cavill dyes his hair. There's one oh, about... Oh, does he? Oh, oh, that's that's important. Okay. Yeah, no. There's one which is a, a gif of Zack Snyder and just says, Zack is coming back, hashtag restore the Snyderverse. Jesus um, <laughs> There's another one where someone is comparing the Shazam costume to the Superman costume and in all caps tweeting, this straight up looks like a Snyder DC costume, like OMG, thank you once again, even though I'm sure you didn't want this to leak. Um, and so they're, they're all about like DC Comics and Zack Snyder, and, and I, yeah. I I don't care. I don't want to know them. How do I turn off these notifications? I don't know. It's one thing if like on my personal accounts, like Patton Oswalt tweeted something funny, or right. the New York Rangers are signed to whatever. Like though, like okay, I follow right. those things, and so maybe it's just the Twitter algorithm because we tweet about comic stuff because I, I get notifications yeah. for mcu stuff as well it's just it seems to be more it, it twitter seems to believe i am emotionally invested in Zack snyder coming back to restore the snyder you're the, and you're the least like am, one ever like i'm not i am not interested at all in that happening actually no because um, we're, we're, we're sane that's why yeah also um quick side note watch like half of army of the dead and then turn it off um, I, I haven't, you know, what's funny. I even said in the beginning of my vacation this week, I said, "I'll I'll watch it." And then my friend, my friend Sam, like, like messaged me, and we were talking about films, and he's like, "Oh, I just watched Army of the Dead." I'm like, "How was it?" He's like, "It fucking sucked." I'm like, "Okay." It, uh, and he's a zombie fan. Like, he loves, he even likes The Walking Dead still, which I I always make wow. fun of him about that. But yeah, whatever. Him, yeah. But you know. He's been watching it from day one, so you know I give him credit for that. But okay, yeah. but even he's like, no, Army of Dead. He's like, he's like, just some scenes are cool. He's like, Batista's cool in it, but other than that, he's like, it's garbage. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll I'll take my time. Yeah. So here's the thing: I'm a fan of zombie films. My wife loves the good heist movie. So like a yeah. heist movie in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, cool. Come that on. sounds that sounds like yeah. right up our alley. And it's not a fun movie. Like this movie takes itself very seriously, which is bad because one. Zack Snyder doesn't direct actors emotionally very well. And two, right. listen, I like Dave Bautista. I don't like him as a leading man in a drama. Um, he, well, it's weird to say it's a drama, right? Yeah, it's like, it's a fucking zombie heist film. It should be a drama. Yeah, and it's, it, the, the script makes, because the script was also written by Zack Snyder, Zack Snyder did the cinematography, and you can tell, but it, it, the, the script makes a lot of subtext into text. Uh, because Zack Snyder does not do nuance at all. And so that's bad. It takes itself very seriously, except for the moments when it doesn't, and then it feels we like wildly out of place. Um, it's also very strange. It's one of the only movies I can think about which introduces you 
to the backstory of someone you're going to assume is a main character until they mm-hmm. kill that main character off just in the opening credit sequence. <laughs> um, okay. That, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I guess that's uh, Zack Snyder's, um, you know, him trying to make you think he's, uh, you know, a Hitchcock fan. <laughs> like, oh, you think this is the main character? Nope. Yeah. Kill him off. <laughs> but I mean, listen. <laughs> You know, the man does opening credit sequence as well between Dawn oh. of the Dead, Watchmen, oh, yeah. Under the Dead. Like, he, he does he does those very well. But, um, you know, which kind of makes sense because he was a com- he started out as directing commercials. And so commercials, you have a short amount of time to kind of tell a story. Right. Um, he, was just a, he was just commercials, right? He, did he do music videos or no? I, I think maybe he did. I know, couple, I, know that, right? I know that Dawn of the Dead was his, was his first um, actual feature film, but yeah. I think he was mainly a commercial director before that. But so maybe, yeah. you know, who knows? Maybe he was the guy that, you know, would have done very well on Quibi and uh, and just... Um, <laughs> Quibi. <laughs> and missed, missed What's Quibi? Him. Yeah, that, that lasted about as, <laughs> as long as one of those videos. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very true. So let's see. Um, oh, yeah. Yes, he did. He did, be, he did do music videos because he did... Um, uh, Relevant to my interest as a kid, um, Soul Asylum's Somebody to Shove. Oh, okay. Um, ZZ Top, World of Swirl, Rod Stewart, Leave Virginia Alone. Damn. Okay, so, interesting. He did a lot of, like, like rock, but, like, not even necessarily, like, you think, oh, it's going to be, like, you know, crazy rock vision, you know, like, rock band visuals. Like, like something like a Slipknot or something. I would I, I would assume he would have done Slipknot or Disturbed or <laughs> Mudvayne, you know, like. Yeah. Or, or, or we were joking earlier, like anything new metal, like Static X or fucking uh, <laughs> Power, Power or, Man Five Thousand. Power Man Five Thousand, yeah. which funny. Every so often, I'll go on the YouTube tangent of let me just put on something that I used to love, and I'll put on like you know a Static X song, and then for the next two hours, I'll just let it play, and it'll it'll play every song I listen to probably like in that time period, like every song. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, this this is my playlist back then. Was was Power Man Five Thousand or Static X uh, when worlds collide? Power Man Five Thousand. That was Power Man Five Thousand. Okay. Yeah, um, Rob's Rob Zombie's brother, right there. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I, I often which I, I always forget that until I look at him. I go, oh, I kind of see it, and then it's like, oh right, Rob is the horror guy, and his brother is the sci-fi guy. <laughs> there you go. Okay. That's yeah. really what it is. Like, come on, like, like, oh, bro, you're doing a horror thing. Okay, I'll I'll do my sci-fi thing. Cool. Uh, but um, another another thing that we briefly wanted to talk about was I have just started. James has been watching it for a while. I have just started watching, not just started. I've been watching it for a couple of weeks. Dark Side of the Ring on Vice TV. Thank you for uh, James for lending me your, your oh. login information for that. But I yeah, I must say I haven't really dived into uh, any of the two part episodes yet. So like Benoit, um, mm-hmm. uh, Brian Pillman, or Owen Hart. But right, right. I've so I've been trying to watch kind of the one offs. And this is this is some great fucking storytelling um, yeah. in yeah. in 45 minutes, like especially and, and I know I, I talked to you like texted you off mic because they have like an episode on Bruiser Brody and it's like, well, listen, I've watched so many YouTube videos. I know that story already, except they bring in Tony Atlas and they bring in yeah. Abdullah the Butcher and they bring in all these people. It's like, oh, this is a much more co- not complicated story because we're pretty sure that Invader <laughs> stabbed Bruiser Brody to death. But like. It's just it's the the fact that they do such a good job of trying to get different perspectives in there to flesh out these these stories is it's great storytelling, man. Yeah, like, and it's funny because like I always champion this series because it's like two things I love: wrestling and like true crime documentaries. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know if you don't know wrestling at all, like, and especially the dark underbelly of it, which is something I've been like. Not not like I don't and not necessarily like I like it because it's some of these stories are awful and oh, like yeah. sad and like tragic and but I it's kind of the thing like when you and I think a lot of people go through this too, like when you read up and watch things about serial killers, and it's like, yeah, I don't like serial killers, but I'm interested in that like mindset of like how could someone actually do these things? And the same thing in this world, like, you know, these wrestlers that you love and then you hear about like how either they were terrible or the shit they went through and like the Bruiser Brody one especially was there they're basically they made that episode to pitch to Vice yeah to say hey this is what we want to do this is the idea look at what we have that's why that one's kind of weird because 
you also had Mick Foley doing the yeah the narration in that one and and then it's kind of weird because then he doesn't do the narration for that first season. It's actually um, <laughs> um what's his name? I don't know why I can't. I, I knew him as uh, Jack Swagger's uh, manager, but uh, okay, he's one of the ones in the Bruiser Brody episode. The, he's the the one with the big mustache. Oh I yeah, can't... yeah, yeah. That, he looks like a Civil War general. Yes, yeah, that's okay. exactly. I'm yeah. so pissed I can't think of his name. I'm, I'm, I'm my wrestling card is uh, thrown away, but <laughs> but that's what it is. It's 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 a combination of like these really good interviews they get with people behind, you know, like these wrestlers and other people involved like sometimes you get like jim Cornette, and like i love jim Cornette on this series like jim Cornette is so funny but also truthful and same thing with like even like when uh someone like uh dave Meltzer pops up or even a vince russo sometimes even though you want to like punch him in the face sometimes <laughs> sure these are great like conversations and then you have these really well done reenactments like yes. mm -hmm. shadowy reenactments you know like like you just it almost reminds me of like unsolved mysteries, but a little more oh yeah yeah mm -hmm. moody, you know, and and this combination of stuff, and you know, for people that aren't wrestling fans, I think it works too because even if you don't know anything about wrestling, you go oh my god, you know the so far this season the, the Nick Gage episode was fucking insane. Ugh, that, yeah, yeah we, we we we've talked about that. Um, <laughs> there's a thing in wrestling where. And everyone will say this. You can watch a wrestler and go, like, it's a joke. Everything else is, oh, that's not real. But this guy, or, like, this feud, you go, well, that shit's real. For, you know, for that split second. Or, like, they really like the, the pain. Or, like, oh, my God, the shit they do is real. And it's, like, that's hard to come by. So when you watch these Dark Side of the Rings, a lot of these people, this is from the era of kayfabe, which is basically, we're not telling you that it's, quote unquote fake or not real so then when you see these stories behind the scenes you go oh my god it's even crazier behind the scenes than what we were seeing on camera like the especially during the attitude era with all the crazy shit that was going on then but it's like no they were doing crazy shit behind the scenes mm -hmm. the drugs and like the freaking the women and yeah you know, so you have that you have the nick gage one then you have to me the the fun episode of this season so far has been the collision in korea yeah that's what do you think about that one? That one's just... That one, the Collision in Korea episode <laughs> is one of my favorites because that's a story yeah. I, I didn't know I didn't know that ever happened. I No, but I, I, I only knew about it years later, so it's not... Yeah, and, and I, I didn't know about it at all until this episode. So that was cool because this was a... It was a story that I was unfamiliar with and also this, you know, like you said, an unsolved mysteries or true crime thing in the sense of this is real life danger that these people willingly yeah. put themselves in without being aware of what they were getting into and it even had but it has an interesting arc too especially about how the japanese promoter eventually won this crowd of like two hundred thousand koreans over yeah. um and, and it's it's a it's a very interesting story but i have to say my favorite episode is probably the one on the brawl for all you know why that one's so good because why did a brawl for all get created because vince Russo wanted to prove jbl wrong Oh my so God. all these people got injured and fucking their careers got shortened because of a stupid fucking bet. Well, and and this is this is what I find so fascinating about professional wrestling and specifically <laughs> this series is that I mean if you think of it's weird to think about anyone who goes to therapy can basically be like listen we're all to an extent broken people or all grown up children, but then right. you extend that to the thought of. Oh, so we've got grown-up children making decisions for this country in the Senate, in Congress. Broken people who are bringing their shit to right. a situation that affect other people, millions of people. And in professional wrestling, it's the same thing in the sense of... Because the Brawl for All is basically... Vince Russo came up with this idea. Jim Cornette fucking hated it. They hate each other. Right. And this spiraled and tumbled into this thing which had real world repercussions on the people that were involved whether physically emotionally or in terms of their career bart gunn mm -hmm. got involved because he's like this is going to help my career and then yeah. when it didn't play out the way the higher-ups wanted they destroyed him and it's right. just what's up yeah it, it, and all these stories are basically like you know i love this thing so much and i gave my life to it but the higher-ups giveth, and they taketh away. 
And whether yeah. that's take away career opportunities or take away hope or take away your soul. And it's just like, man, what what does it cost to give yourself to something so completely? And a lot of times it takes your life. And it's, ugh, that's dark shit, man. Yeah, it's, uh, no, and that's and it's kind of like why, why I love it so much. And then also sometimes, like, I hate, like, what these people have to go through. But then again... You have all these great, you know, another episode, two episodes you should watch that, again, two things I barely knew anything about being and, and being a big wrestling fan. The uh, the Gino Hernandez one. Okay. That's a great one. That's like, because the whole, people still know how don't know how he was killed. It's a whole, and he was like a big wrestler back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like up and coming, like basically this guy, if you look at this guy, he's like handsome. He was basically like the, the Hispanic, like Ric Flair. Okay. Suave, you know, like, but like dressed to the nine, nice cars, but then, you know, die. And same thing with the Dino Bravo one. And I only knew Dino Bravo growing up, and I, I just was always get bored. He was one of those wrestlers that are like, oh, Dino Bravo match. Yeah, I'm, I'm tuning out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was killed, mafia style, in Canada. I love the career path of Jason Eisner. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> who goes from like, you know, hobo with a shotgun. Yeah. The ABCs of death. My, my. I know this is controversial. My favorite um, segment in any of the VHS movies. Um, you know the oh. the, the alien slumber party uh, story. <laughs> which, That's a fun one. That's which fun. I, mean, I mean, VHS two is solid from beginning to end, but that one's my favorite because yeah. I always appreciate a well done alien abduction uh, story because they haven't been done really, especially not on the big screen since like the early nineties, and and even then like. Are Fire in the Sky and Communion really that good of movies? No, no. they have some good scenes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but uh, and then and now he's he's basically he's the director on this entire behind the scenes wrestling documentary series, which yeah. is like wow, okay, this this seems like he he corralled his career into something. Not to say he didn't want to do Hobo with a Shotgun, but like he had some success. He's like, this is what I want to do. Like, cool, good on you, man. You did it. Yeah, like I mean, when I know like him and Evan became friends and. They just clicked and like they again, Evan being within, you know, before he was in Vice, he was working for and you know, he was working for Draft House films and helping get certain films distributed mm-hmm. for them. But yeah, I, I keep telling people that aren't wrestling fans, like, watch Dark Side of the Ring, give it a shot, and it's becoming more and more popular, which is great, because to the point where Vice that's their that's their number one show. Dark Side of the Ring. And rightfully so, because it's yeah. great. And I, and I keep going back to this phrase, hurt people, hurt people, which just kind of explains how this stuff is able to mm-hmm. perpetuate. And like the first episode I watched was the one on, on Nick Gage. It made me horribly queasy, similar to, mm-hmm. you know, the life and crimes of New Jack. But also to a certain yes. extent, you whether you like it or not, you kind of understand where these guys are coming from, too, because of what they grew up in and survived and then got to this point. And like maybe... Maybe this isn't the healthiest outlet for for guys like this, but um, no, it's it's great. It's it's engaging storytelling, and so we should probably actually get onto the starfish conversation. But before yeah. that, um, recognizing that a bunch of episodes from season three haven't come out yet, if you could see a, a dark side of the ring episode on any one topic or person, what would you want it to be? It's funny because like a lot of the ones they've they've been putting out are ones that like I've always dreamt of mm-hmm. you know like but um i'm trying to think um this season i'm trying to think of the other ones that they're they're doing this year like i know you know we just went through the jake the snake one mm-hmm. um which is rough that's all i'll say um i'm looking real quick at this season so you have okay so funny enough one that i've always wanted to see a uh, one about is actually the next episode, which is about the Dynamite Kid. Okay. I, I've been thinking about this because, you know, how many iterations of the story can you tell on the, what we're already seeing? You know, mm-hmm. person dedicates their life to it, gives their all, suffers something, and they until they eventually decline until death or suicide kind of a thing. Um, right, and right. You, and you sometimes we get we get hope in some of these too, you know, yeah. like, which is good. So you, you don't want to see that a lot. Um, but the the first thing that occurs to me just because of how influential of a force he was when I was growing up was yeah. maybe an episode on the British Bulldog. 
Uh, well, that no, and 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 that's another. That's one I would see, and you'll probably with the Dynamite Kid one, you'll get a lot of yeah stuff about the British Bulldog because they were a tag team for so many years. Yeah, yeah. Um, until Dynamite Kid's body was decimated mm-hmm. from years of abuse, just well, of yeah. And and I know because because Davy Boy Smith, like he because he got a bad neck injury, got addicted to yeah. painkillers, was horribly out of shape, like that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe maybe something on Mike Awesome. I don't know, but he. How, yeah. how how big of a force was he? But yeah, I don't know. And, and but there's there's so there's so much stuff um, that that I you know if I could dig into it, I, I'd really I'd, I would really be curious. And, and but that's but uh but yeah, that's the thing. And even if they hadn't touched on it in the brawl for all, um, mm. draws more more yeah. emphasis on his story would be a good one. Uh, but, I know I, I felt so bad because I I the draws story is so, like I mean there's not much to say. I mean he got you know he got injured. And he hasn't been able to walk. You know, it's it's a sad story. And like, funny enough, I was at that event that he broke his neck. Oh, really? It's a move that D'Lo had done a thousand times and has done a thousand times after that. Mm-hmm. And one one little little screw up, and you're crippled for life. And it's like, holy shit. You know, like that's why I always hate people when they say it's fake. Right. You know, it's not fake. It's predetermined. It's it's you know it's all it's all there but like people get injured like i I hate the idea oh well they're not really hurt no no they're sometimes they're hurt worse because they're they're taking bumps that you should not be taking over and over and over again well that's some real life tragedy let's let's move into some fictional tragedy much easier to deal with yes Um, yes starfish and i i want to i want to start with you because i feel like i'm going to be the more negative nancy in this one but you, we both mentioned not knowing what to expect going into it. So, what is your what was your response? What what did you react to? Because yeah, the, the, and and I will get into this when I talk about it. But yeah, this was um, I didn't know what to expect, but it was not the movie that I got. With this one, again, I didn't know what to expect, and then when you know I started watching it and you know put my phone away and just paid attention, it was just kind of like, okay. And then certain things happen, you know, okay, this is, and like, you know, we'll talk later about interpretations and mm, yeah, sure. what, what is real, what's not. And that's the whole, like a, a, a through line reality, what's real, what's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really liked it more than I did. Like, actually it was funny, like watching it and just whispering to myself, like, like, which is a weird thing just to do. But I was like, <laughs> huh, I'm like, I like this more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because it sounds like you're the opposite, <laughs> but but I kind of like the idea. It's it's like an art house film, but mixed with like a Lovecraftian horror, which I think is interesting because like it's a very like artistically made film, like for mm-hmm. the budget and stuff, and like A. T. White or Al White, like you said, like also did the score okay. for the film, you know. So it's all you know, it's all ties together and like. It's is it flawed? Yeah, it's flawed. But but that's not to say that like I wouldn't enjoy it because I like a lot of flawed films. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, like I liked it more than I thought I would. And um, Virginia Gardner, I think, elevates the film because mm-hmm. she has to basically, actually, you know, ninety nine percent of the film she's by herself. Like either flashbacks are basically talking to her or. Yeah. she's on the on on the walkie-talkie with some guy yeah that she doesn't know or like she's having like you know thoughts that her friend grace who has died is there talking to her like she'll always be with her and you know the whole idea of the you know the mixtape thing yeah okay that's a little <laughs> little cheesy in a way a little whatever but again it's a weird film because what time period does this film take place in? And yeah. the, re- the reason why I say that to you is because, you know, watching it and like, like kind of thinking to myself, oh, wait, she doesn't have a cell phone? Hmm. Which is a weird thing to think, you know, right? Like you, you always assume everyone has a cell phone because even everyone has a cell phone right. for the most part, you know, yeah. kids have cell phones. So it's like, I'm like, okay. And then, you know, the TV at the front, you know, the friend's house is an old tube TV, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Some people have that, but there's nothing. There's really nothing 
present day about this film. Hmm. But I don't know if that, and again, I don't know if that's intentional, but it's a weird thing to think of. Like, there's never any, you know, like I said, the walkie talkie is the way people are talking to each other. Yeah. Like, okay. You, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's weird things like that. Like, you know, I understand, like, the, the power's out, there's no, you know, whatever, but radio waves and whatever else you could say. But it's, I don't know, it's weird because, like, the radio station is up, is something, you know, like, the movie theater is like, it only plays old films, from what you can tell. So it's a rep screening. Yeah, there, like, yeah, it was it, Clockwork Orange just playing right. there. Yeah, yeah, it was a foreign poster in the background. It was something else. So, um, I don't know. Like it's 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 it, it like the whole time I felt not uneasy, but like I felt like this is not of our time. And remember, the film starts off based on a true story. Right. So, I, I you know like I ask you this question which i asked myself and i'm still kind of <laughs> not sure where to go with it um so when the whole thing with the based on a true story is this like aubrey the character you know she plays is this her retelling the end of the end of the world in this reality because we do see her talking in another reality about a picture that it kind of looks like it, but it doesn't, like, at in the library. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, is she, is she, like, reenacting this, like, you know, in a film version to, to kind of warn people of what could happen? I don't know. Like, it's, it's a lot I get, you know, like, because, you know, at the end when, you know, spoiler, when she's kind of, like, going into, like, one of the, the doorways. Yeah. You know? We don't, you know, she doesn't, you know, not necessarily die. She just, it turns black and white. It becomes this weird static effect and then it ends. And then it just shows you this, this world that has ended, basically. Right. You know, there's only, supposedly some survivors, but again, like the survivors that, you know, we hear about, the guy that's been talking to her, we never know who he is, but that knows Grace. But, you know, so that's one question about, is this a different reality? Like, is it a different time? And then also is, like, the whole concept of, and I, again, this is, uh, you know, going ahead of what what the story is, but, so it seems like Grace wanted the world to end. Yeah, and, ugh, ugh, so many things that I want to respond right. to. Right, um, I know, I know, I know. That, that's, it's a, and again, it's a lot, you know, for, for a, you know, a smaller film, so to speak, there's a lot going on. With the story, yeah, good and bad. Yeah, you know. a- absolutely. And I and I, now I will say one of my primary complaints about it, and I even told, I even texted this to, to Tom yesterday, was he said, "What didn't click for you?" And my response was, "How hipster was the entire <laughs> plot revolves around a search for mixtapes, even though people haven't made mixtapes for like two decades." Um, but you you make a you make a good point that there there really is I I'm I'm bringing the presumption to it that this takes place in contemporary time, and if that's the case. Oh boy, is this film way too quirky for my taste? Because like, there's mixtapes and there's a hipster soundtrack, and you've got someone making a phone call on a rotary phone, and it's yes. all a little bit too cutesy. But then, like you said, you're like, yeah, maybe this takes place 1995, or you know, right. or, or even you know, 2001. And we're like, oh, okay, that that could make more sense. So I will, I will say, like, I'll I'll concede some ground on that. But the, but then that also still raises for me this. Um, anachronism when it comes to the contemporary soundtrack over this yes. thing which is not supposed to be contemporary which even then still highlights this hipster quirkiness for me in which um you know this girl breaks into her dead um best friend's house to masturbate on her couch um <laughs> is but 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 then at the same time um there is an interpretation of especially with the title based on a true story that it's dedicated to a, a friend that al white had who passed right. away and the whole journey is um grappling with grief and the stages of grief and death and that sort of a thing and in that regard with the hey maybe the monsters aren't real maybe mm-hmm. the death of a friend makes it seem like the apocalypse is coming or the world is ending sort of like you know it's a weird equivalency to make, but Bellflower. I don't know if you remember that movie from. Oh yes, yeah. Wow, that's when I oscilloscope put that out, right? Yeah, and 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 yeah. we we thought there were big things coming for those guys, and that was like the only thing they did. 
Um, so weird. Yeah, I remember. Oh, my God. That's a film I haven't thought about since it came out. Yeah, wow, no. So. We're, we're like, this guy is not actually, they're not preparing for an actual Mad Max-style apocalypse as much as it's an emotional Mad Max-style apocalypse because his girlfriend cheated on him and it destroyed his life. So to think of that right. as sort of like, you know, it seems like the world is abandoned because of how alone and lost in grief she is and these monsters not being real. That that makes that makes some sense to me. Um, I can see that. Yeah. But but I'm but then I'm still like the journey and I'm talking about the actual physical journey to find these mixtapes, which are scattered all over town, just seems so forced in a way to draw out runtime and locations like why why would a mixtape be hidden duct taped to the bottom of a shelf in a grocery store no like, I, it, no i i get that no 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 i that's kind of a thing that i was kind of like again 99 percent of the time a film like this like like with the i guess you know hipster whatever you want to say aesthetic would piss me the fuck off like it would <laughs> like I'll, I'll be straight up like usually any film that has like that hipster mentality or at least looks like it mm -hmm. is a turnoff for me it is for some reason this one and again it is part of that that let's get the runtime to 90 minutes mm -hmm. but i think it only works because of the memories that she had with grace like of when she lived here yeah with her you know or at least lived in this town which did they ever say where this is or no right they just kind of it's uh, just somewhere there, that snows, right? There, there is there is a town sign um, there is, right. somewhere. I just forget what it is, but I, I've I've got the IMDb page called up. So if you keep on talking, I'll, I'm sure yeah, I'll yeah, yeah. figure it out. I, I mean, I think it's like I think they filmed in Connecticut. I think the film itself, but like which would make sense if there there are some seaside areas of Connecticut mm -hmm. that would you know oceanside that would make sense. But I think it's just to kind of relive these. You know, memory. You know, memories of like you know places that they would hang out. Even the grocery store itself—it's a small town. Yeah. So they they would go to the grocery store just to, and then again, where did she put the, the tape? She put it where the, you know, noodle. You know, like the the microwave. You know, tubs of noodles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which which is what her when she's at the house, she has a ton of. Mm -hmm. So that's something that Grace liked to get. Yeah, and you know? and it is um I don't know if it's Leadville or Leadville, Colorado is where. Uh, ah, okay, oh Colorado, yeah. okay, okay. Um, and and no, and and I I can see that especially if the, if it's sort of like a a, the emotional journey is kind of conveyed through a physical manifestation of you know going back to these places that we loved and and that sort of thing, and I can I can sort of, I can I can accept that I can sort of make some sense about that, um, yeah. but but then there's still there is still a a mythology or there are world building elements that are introduced in this movie that at least from my perspective, don't really pay off. Like, I mean, I, I, I read it in the opening, uh, in the opening, but just this idea that there's this code and there are people looking for it. Right. Okay, right. But who are these people? Because we never meet anyone. And maybe you can make the argument for the guy on the radio, except we, we, we know nothing about him. He's just this disembodied voice. So what, what is that all about? Like you introduce a mythology or like, hey, here's a world, here's a mystery to uncover. And it's it's the film is very invested in uncovering or unraveling the emotional journey, but that 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 mystery is sort of there it's 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 not there, and that bugged me. Yeah, like it's kind of weird. Like I look at it as the guy who says he knew Grace, was friends with Grace, or whatever the hell he you know. Mm-hmm. We don't even know if that's true. Was he one of the ones looking for her? Right. You know what I mean? And then at the end, when when Aubrey just realizes what she's done, which we'll talk about later, she leaves and he's like calling for her. And it's like he just talks to whoever else he's with saying she's at the radio station. So I think it, it's weird because like, he you know, when you listen to the conversations he has with her in the beginning – he never really says anything that kind of proves that he is friends with Grace. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, I know her. I know about what, with the signal. And he does help Aubrey, like, with the, the signal, mm -hmm. with the sound, you know, to stop them. Um, so it's kind of weird, because, like, the signal that opens up these, the portal is put together finally because of this, you know, 
later on with the seven mixtapes. Um, but it's just weird to me because, like, it's seven mixtapes to do this. But, like, those aren't really mixtapes. It's just one song on each tape. <laughs> right? Like, like the yeah. whole time I'm thinking to myself, that's not a mixtape. Mix, you know what I mean? A mixtape would have been, like, if she took all seven and then made one mixtape from it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of funny like that. but And I kind of like the whole joke, like, oh, you know, when Grace is on the on her the tape that she gives, you know, that she leaves for uh, Aubrey. Oh, you know, no matter what happens, at least this will be a good mix. You know, at least it'll be a good time. You know, like like all the all the songs would be a good time, which I actually kind of like all the songs in a way. You know, right. <laughs> well, but but it's what a way to what a way to die because of some some seven song mixtape that your friend made. Mm-hmm. Well, and with a signal uh, underneath. <laughs> still, still, so much I have to say about just yeah. this guy, yeah. the signal. But before that, I even wanted to. What did you make of the this the animated sequence? Because suddenly, all of okay. a sudden, we're thrust into this animated sequence, and then yes. and and then pulled out of it. But like, what did you make of that? It it was it was jarring, mm-hmm. and in a good and a bad way. Like in a in a bad way because like what is like what does this have to do with anything? Mm-hmm. But I'll give it like a a weird pass because it's. At first, you know, the whole time, I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird. Like, is is she trans? You know, is she transformed or like transferred to a different reality because of this song and because of the harrowing experience? And then it, like, you know, how it ends is like, you know, it's I guess it's Grace telling her to wake up, mm-hmm. and her waking up underneath the car that she was just in, so I guess to fight off whatever one of those one of those Lovecraftian beasts. Um, it's weird. I, I mean, I thought the animation was cool. It was very anime-esque. Sure. And it kind of reminded me of, you know, Kill Bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, but in Kill Bill, you know, it makes a lot more sense because it's a whole backstory sequence of Oren Ishii where you have, you know, stuff that would be harder to replicate in live action. And that... My first instinct was the Kill Bill stuff as well, but for that, that ties more into the the genre homage that yes. Tarantino is doing, and in this one, it, it didn't make as much sense to me. I texted Tom about it. I'll read you his response. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I asked him what his what his um, what he what he made of it in terms of the narrative motivation. His response was, "The narrative motivation, I'd say, is to further push the idea of slightly off kilter dimensions, if anything, mm-hmm. building upon that a primer to what's come and changing the audience's expectation." Potentially even the classic Lovecraftian idea of facing the creature's face on kind of uh, altering your perception of reality. It's the first time she is directly in contact almost with that thing, which I, mm. I, and, and that makes sense. But also, once again, nothing like that happened before or happened again. I guess you could say it's just different kind because, yeah, she does have kind of these psychotic escapes from yes. reality and that's the only kind that like that's done in animation they do it another way so so maybe there's maybe there's something there um, i think that's what i took from it like after like after watching the film and seeing every time she put the headphones on or what what not or put it on a on a tape player or whatever again all these cars and stuff it seems like they only have tape players <laughs> mm-hmm. there's no cds anywhere yep. it's kind of weird but that's beside the point but uh yeah, I think of it as her getting transported to, you know, this other world or whatever you want to say. Whatever way she's depicting this other reality or other realities. Um, and I do also like the uh, when she's in the water and as opposed to the usual Lovecrafting thing with tentacles, it was they use seaweed. It's weeds, yeah. Which I kind of liked. You know, it was a little more of a, a different take on the tentacle thing, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I can understand a lot of people not like going like, what the hell is this? This is stupid. And I can understand that. But I, I took it as like Tom, like it's these different dimensions, different realities did, that she's trying to cope with, you know? Did they, and, and I, I apologize for this because this yeah. was, there was a few check my phone moments while I was watching this movie, which is unfair. But did they, do they explain how her best friend died because it, it seems like there's some correlation between her death the main character's kind of role because it, it's it's implied i guess that that she our main character virginia gardner had like some type of affair or romantic interaction with this guy yes but this guy was still alive but i wasn't quite sure how the triangle 
worked and and how that was emotionally affecting her yeah so okay so um from what i gathered no the only time like it's alluded to like i'm i'm guessing it was cancer of some sort because of the fact that grace talks on the the mixtape to her she's going back to the hospital for more tests and you can't trust your own body oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's the only thing that's really said they don't really say how she died and like so so the thing is so the whole affair thing um that's not that i'm confused but like who would what you know what i mean like mm-hmm. she was you know from what we get for, especially from the almost like the uh as i call it a flashback dump at the end of like all these like beautiful moments and then some yeah sad yeah. moments mm-hmm. that's the guy edward right yeah the, the guy okay. who keeps the showing who keeps appearing without a face but i, I think it is not because he's dead but right, right. Just because he, might, of what he that... might be dead now. Yeah, he might be dead now because of this this event that went on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, okay. So I got that. But is that the affair or like the affair she had is with another guy, right? I don't know. And, and even is that's it... where it's a little confusing to me. Yeah, like yeah, is it even an affair or is it sort of her friend died and and the way that she tried to cope with it was with this guy? Like I'm I'm not like there's. Right. There, there's a pastiche, but there's 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 flesh, but there's no bones. If that makes any sense. Yeah, because like like from what it looks like, something happened where because like like from what I gather, she she lived in this town or whatever with Grace, and like she worked at the radio station, you know, with with someone that looks like Rudy to me. That <laughs> one picture, I said, I go, hey, is that Rudy? He'll be flattered, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got I got to get a screenshot of that and send it to him. Um, so you have like that stuff, but like with the beach thing, it's like weird. Cause like, it's, it's, it's weird. Cause like, you know, we see this scene of her like taking off her bra and she's about to go in to, you know, skinny dip with this guy. But is that Edward in the sea or is that some other guy? Yeah, we I never was... see that guy. We never see him close up. Yeah. And then, I'm... and then she, and then she like quote unquote kills this other guy in one of the realities. Yeah, I drowns I'm, him. Right, I'm, it's confusing. I, I'm, I'm not sure, and, I, and I'm I'm sure the end of that animated sequence where these the seaweeds are kind of like stripping her and pulling her down has to do with that sequence yes. of of her skinny dipping in the ocean with this guy. But I, it, it's it's a it's emotional ambiguity for a film which is entirely about an emotional journey, and <laughs> and, and, and I yeah. and it, it doesn't work as well for me, which ties into kind of one of my final questions or my final points. Like, okay, so. Let's say the signal and finding these tapes and, and all of this is, is sort of a, a, a physical projection of an emotional journey. And um, I, I'm with you on that. Okay, that I can accept and that, that I can kind of, I can uh, get on with you. And even these monsters are grief, you know, a manifestation of grief that she has to fight off or, or whatever. Like that, that I can, okay, I'm with you. I'm with you up, for, up to a point. But then, this guy, what is the emotional equivalency of this guy wanting her not to put the tapes all together and then opening the doorway seemingly in this world would signal then more of these creatures are coming in and the earth is going to be destroyed. But based on the sound and the emotion of the soundtrack, that's a good thing. But then how is that a good thing? Because opening the portal would imply more of these creatures, which I'm thinking are supposed to be grief, but then she I, gives it like, and, and this, that's, this is where it starts getting muddled to me. I know it, it, it's, it's like I said, like I said, it's, it's flawed in the sense that like in a way you can take different interpretations, but also is that what was intended? Because yeah, like, I, the way I take it is, you know, at first, she doesn't want to do shit, Aubrey. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. It's like, like, fuck this guy who's trying to tell me what to do. You know, I'm just going to sit here with this little little turtle <laughs> and eat and eat until whatever. And then her kind of really, I'm, if I don't do anything at all, I'm going to starve to death and freeze to death here. Mm-hmm. Um, let me go try to do the search. At least try once for grace. You know, kind of like that. She even says, that. "Fine, I'll do it for you, Grace." Yeah. So she does this journey, goes for all the, you know, battles through all this emotion, this, you know, grief, this, 
love that she had, which I think she cheated on the love, and that's why we have like their breakup or whatever that happened. And then yeah, whatever. I can, it, yeah, I can buy that. Yeah, yeah. So, and from what he gathered, that she hasn't talked to Grace for a while mm-hmm. because Grace says you should call me more often, you idiot. You know, like <laughs> so she's kind of closed herself off from like all the people like she loved and loved her, mm-hmm. and um. You know, so you have that, but then I think it's like the whole realization that Grace didn't want her to save the world, wanted her to actually destroy the world. Mm-hmm. And realizing, like, wait a second, I was doing it thinking it was this. Like, you know, I was doing it thinking I was going to be a hero, quote unquote. Like, I was trying to do the good thing for once, you know, like she was trying to be proactive, you know, with mm-hmm. something. And then her realizing, oh, wait my friend was depressed and hated the world too, mm-hmm. you know, like ultimately. And then she just like, just walks away and just gives herself to this, you know, whatever, what do you want to call it? You know, this, this dimension jump or whatever the hell it is. I think it's actually like, that's her finally giving her grief away. Like, I think, I don't know if the monsters are grief or whatever, you know, we could say, are they actual physical monsters? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, cause we have that one cool scene when she looks up and she sees, it almost looks like one of the monsters from the mist I, yeah, just I was, walking by. Yeah. I was reminded yeah. of that too. Yeah. Which I thought it looked really cool too. And I, I kind of like the whole design of it. Cause it's like kind of a typical design, but the inside of it looked very outer space mm-hmm. inside this being, you know, and it's like, Oh, okay. There's not just the little, little things that are like these weird, you know, um, what do you call it? Like basically like humanoid creatures that are very, gross looking of course <laughs> mm-hmm. but um so I, I i don't know from what i take from it is it's almost like oh wait my friend was also hated the world or like just didn't give two shits about this world anymore mm-hmm. and and dies before she could actually ultimately do it mm-hmm. and the only person she knows that would get it would be would be aubrey but she doesn't like necessarily explain that to her because you can't just say oh i want you to destroy the world <laughs> right you know you, you know but she also doesn't say to save the world she doesn't say that if you look the tape doesn't say save or no she just says you you'll get this and i put this on seven tapes it's almost like a uh a, a, a journey that really is kind of fucked up because she went through a journey thinking one thing and it's actually no no it's actually the depressing part like it's not you yeah. can't save you can't save the world. And, Actually, the world would have been saved if you didn't find these tapes. Well, yeah, and and that's I, and I keep I keep trying to find a narrative, quote unquote, real world equivalency to this emotional journey she's on. And, right. and you're right. I mean, right. I've got basically the entire transcript of the the recorded message um, here. And yeah, she never says put the signals together or put all seven. She's, right. You know, she just says like. Um, there's You'll a correlation it. between events. They seem to form a chain of signals that link together in a loop, but we're missing one. We have the rest, or I have the rest, and dot, dot, dot. She doesn't yeah. say about that. And she says, but put it all together once again, dot, dot, dot. There are people after it. It's all fucked up. So maybe there's this idea of, like, we have them and we've put them around here so that they're not all in one place so that someone can find them and put them together and open this doorway. So, yes, maybe Aubrey putting them together that was she did that on her own and maybe you can make the argument once again of going back to the store or going to the movie theater going to all these old places it's giving like you know um because as one is inclined to do during grief during mourning whether it's the physical loss of someone's life or a breakup or whatever you you start going down memory lane you know digging into the past and nostalgia instead of trying to move forward and so maybe that journey is not one that she should be doing so like her going back into these things is her giving in to grief and nostalgia and thing. I mean, fuck the first, one of the first things she does yeah. is breaks into her dead friend's house <laughs> to live there. Like, right. So maybe this is the wrong way to do it because certainly when the guy says like, you know, you put the, the seven tapes together, you've opened the portal. Um, yeah, you've, opened it, you've opened it completely now. Yeah. And that's so that's bad. Okay. Once again, I'm on board <laughs> with that, except then, the soundtrack using at the end just seems to make it so inspiring or uplifting. Like, wait, so is this a good thing that she just did? Like, I don't know how this movie wants me to feel about that journey. And, and you know what? I a hundred percent agree with you. That's why 
it's a little off. Like mm-hmm. there's something about it. Like okay, so like the like to me like her you know Virginia Gardner is actually a really good actress in the sense that I kind of blame the soundtrack for it because like <laughs> she gives this like look of realization and I'm just like oh what did I do mm. okay I'm whatever I'm just gonna there's nothing I could do now. Like there's not, there's, I mean, I've already done the deed that my friend wanted me to do. It might not have been what I thought it was, but okay. I now, now I realize what she wanted me to do the whole time. And then there's her giving herself up. It's a soundtrack that kind of, like you said, it's like, so am I supposed to cheer for that? Like the end of the world? Okay. I guess so. I didn't, it's kind of weird, but like, again, remember what all the, uh, the, um, the tapes have on them is the forgive and forget. Yeah. You know, which is something on the table that was something that they said to each other. I can't square the journey with any interpretation neatly. And, and, and also I, I, I don't want to say I resent. I read a few things describing it as Lovecraftian. And I have to disagree. I don't think there's really anything Lovecraftian to do with this with this movie i i mean i i know <laughs> we we keep we keep complaining like you can't just throw tentacles in something nah. and call it lovecraftian with this one you can't just throw creatures that are apparently from a different dimension in here and say it's lovecraftian because other than that there's nothing about lovecraft stuff in here none of the themes of of the dread or you know or the inescapable fate or any like the, there's there is well, nothing there's nothing to me at least yeah yeah well the inescapable inescapable fate Thing is almost it's almost there in a the sense there where the signals opened up whatever and the story you know the journey it's inescapable like in a way because <clears throat> aubrey's determined to do this one last thing for her friend mm-hmm. no matter what happens no matter what what she has to fight through the different dimension and it and, and not in the same way as we know like I'm, I'm i mean i'm stretching for it you know i'm like okay maybe what they what he was going for mm-hmm. But yeah, it's is it like Lovecraftian, like as we know and you know, no, it's not. It's not. It, it has some, like you said, some creatures that you know are from a different dimension, different world, whatever you want to call it, and you know, end of the world apocalypse type feel. But again, does that make it Lovecraftian? I don't think it's Lovecraftian either. Well, I, you know, you know, at is, all. This is me maybe being nitpicky. Um, <laughs> if we are also to interpret that the creatures are metaphorical. The creatures yes. in Lovecraft are never metaphorical. No, no, they're straight up. They're real, and they will... They're the worst things you've ever... They're worse than anything you could ever imagine. Yes, and, and, and like, and ties it to, like, their existence seems to... Not even seems to. Their existence confirms and tie this idea into this idea of a, a cosmic and existential insignificance, which I don't see that here, because the story is so personal and introspective and the emotions are are in of this individual experience is so valuable that i think that's really kind of the antithesis of the sort of stuff that we see in in lovecraftian things so it's i i take umbrage yeah. i guess with people who are like oh it's this great lovecraftian thing I'm like well i i would i would disagree with it but i mean it's like i also don't want to think this is not a bad movie there's a lot of great visuals yeah. there's it is it's for a low budget movie and you can oh, tell it's it's low budget but not like visually low budget just like it's you know in terms of location stuff you can tell he he didn't have a whole lot of money to work with but it's ambitious and i appreciate that yeah it's again it's like a film you know no matter what afterward i went i can't wait to see what this guy does next Mm -hmm. and that's a lot of these films we've we've covered where it's either first film or like you know like the director the empty man i want to see what they do you know what i mean like these filmmakers do at least they're like a lot of them are swinging for defenses. You mm-hmm. know, they're they're really trying to go, especially for our first film. You know, more kudos to Mr. White. Like, you know, I I give him credit for that. Like, where it's like, wow, you know, you you're trying. Like, but then again, was he was he going for a Lovecraftian feel? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't. I, I haven't found anything that actually legitimately says yes. Yeah, I love Lovecraft. I wanted to make this Lovecraft type film mm-hmm. i don't i don't really see it anywhere and again like you said he dedicated to his own grace so some you know it's it, it meant a lot to him this it was, it was almost like him doing this based on a true story for himself 
Yeah, I, I see. You know? I see reviews that bring a Lovecraft element to it, but nothing right. from him that says that. So it's you know, I think it speaks more to the li- the viewer or the listener than it does to what he did. Um, right. And I don't say that in a, in a in a derisive manner either. It's just that's kind of how it is. But uh, the one one final question I have for you before we kind of wrap this discussion up is. What did you make of the significance of the name Starfish? Oh, no, I'm glad you said that because I, I, I actually had written, not even a note, but I wrote down Starfish. What, what is a Starfish known for? They're known for regeneration. Yeah. Like, you, you can chop its arms mm. off and they will grow back. Yeah. And remember, we see from the beginning, she's, she's feeding Grace's jellyfish, yeah. Yeah. Which, is, which is weird because, like, watching and go, wait. So the jellyfish are the ones that are feeding on the starfish, but we see this one starfish on the bottom throughout that beginning, like that mm-hmm. hasn't been touched. That's yeah. still there, which, and she keeps putting more in, but you go, where's she even taking those from? Yeah. Right. Cause it seems like they just regenerate. So like, it's just like endless food source for these uh, starfish, but I mean, for these uh, jellyfish, but I think it's, I think it's supposed to be like, in a way, what it's depicting as Aubrey, like having all this shit happen. And even at the very end where it looks like she's being dissolved and, Mm -hmm. you know, taken away or whatever. But the whole thing with the whole based on a true story. And like, we see glimpses of another reality where she seems, you know, before or even after that, who knows? But like, I, it almost feels like she's going to be regenerated to to her like a, a, a new version of herself somewhere else yeah at least to me that and that, you know. that makes about as much sense as anything else i could i could come up with um because yeah. I, I i generally i'm like i once again just kind of like wheeling because i'm like i this was not the movie i expected so i, do, I don't know how i'm responding to it what i'm what i'm reacting to it's the starfish i couldn't i couldn't make heads or tails of the significance of that scene other than uh jellyfish terrify me and I don't know why we <laughs> keep them as pets. Um, no, the, the only other interpretation I can think of is that that giant thing we saw in the sky was clearly uh, the fictional supervillain Starro. Um, oh, there we go. <laughs> so... Snyderverse, uh, Snyderverse again. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, and that's that's full, that's full circle. So I think that's that we ended right there. Um, yes, I think so. <laughs> but yeah, that that's been uh, Starfish. You can email us uh, your thoughts or reactions uh, to moviesofmadness at gmail dot com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Cast Cthulhu or uh, I am Nolan Fixes Teeth. James is Fistful of Media. We are on Facebook as Cthulhu Cast, and you can catch up on back back episodes pretty much anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, and also on BattleshipRetention.com. Our next episode is more directly related to Summer and the Beach theme mm-hmm. because it is the Beach House, which yes. takes place at a beach house. So during the summer so that i feel like maybe i'm trying to redeem myself with this one um and joining us to uh to discuss that is going to be um jessica scott uh you may know her on twitter as we who walk here she writes for daily grindhouse for ghouls magazine and for a number of other publications um and most relevant to the the table read through of carrie fukunaga's it which i finally was able to to post and and share around she uh was part of that as well she was sharing duties with me as the uh, one of the narrators, which was uh, a ton of fun. So that's what we're going to be talking about. James, have you gotten around to seeing the beach house yet as of this recording? No, I have not. Okay. Have well, you, have you yet? Or, or I, I saw it, um, last okay. October, I believe. So it was like, it was one of those, like, um, you know, movies that define the, the pandemic experience for me. So I, I was able to watch <laughs> it. I need, it's been a while. I need to watch it again, but what I can guarantee you is there is a beach and there is a <laughs> house Okay. In close proximity to it. So oh, it's not it's yeah, it's not lying about that. Okay, good. <laughs> this is this is not the, the Jennifer Connolly um uh movie, The House oh. of Sand and Fog, which does not have a, a house made out of sand or fog. No, but it has Ben Kingsley. So. But it does have Ben that movie, not the Beach House. Ben no. Kingsley is not is not in the Beach House. Though uh I keep forgetting the actor's name. He shows up in a lot of shit though, and he's always pretty good. He was in Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead as like the guy who Sarah Polly kind of has like a, a oh, know. I know who you're talking about that. Yeah, I don't know that actor's name, but he's always he's always solid in everything he does. Always, yeah. He he was also in um um in the recently released Those Who Wish Me Dead. Um, okay. 
he's you know he's a good character he's a reliable character if he shows up i'm like oh there's there's going to be a gravity to whatever the character is that he's portraying so he's he's trustworthy in that regard i like him but cool cool um, okay but yeah so that's uh that will be uh the beach house next time jessica, jessica scott will be joining us and us of course i am jim uh jim and james uh that that won't <laughs> that won't change so that that'll be the same but um yeah Next time will be the beach house. In the meantime, we will be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his beach house in Lilia. You got a, you got a delivery. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.